You're listening to Televisionary, the podcast about the shows that shaped us. In this episode, we take you through the history, key moments, and lasting impact of The Oprah Winfrey Show, with a few detours along the way. Yes, John Travolta flew the plane. Do you want to talk about mad cow disease? It must feel so good to be Gale. Hello, and welcome to Televisionary, the podcast <laughs> where we discuss the shows that shaped us. That was beautiful. If you haven't figured it out by now, listeners, we are talking about The Oprah Winfrey Show today. Yay! Yay! Thank you for joining us. <laughs> this show is a little different than any show that we've done so far. It's a talk show. Yes, and it was on five days a week for an hour, as opposed to a couple episodes for a few seasons. So there is lots to talk about. Oh, yeah. So we're still going to start with our relationship to the show, as we typically do. It's hard to say that you've watched all of the Oprah show, though, because... (laughs) I don't know if there's a human on Earth who has. I'm sure there is. That's like Gail and Stedman, probably. And like three lonely housewives in Missouri. Yeah. (laughs) I watched a lot of the Oprah show because it was always in our house at four o'clock in the afternoon when I was growing up. I would come home from school and it would be on. (laughs) So I saw so much Oprah over the years. Yeah, me too. It was just like a staple. I mean, we ate dinner pretty early in my house, but depending on the time of year, I would get to watch like an entire Oprah episode every day if I wanted to. It was just so commonly playing at, like you said, at 4 p.m. There are certain things that I just am still to this day like scarred by that she talked about on her show. (laughs) But yeah, I, I watched it pretty frequently, and I always really loved watching it. Yeah, I feel like that was just the thing that was on people's TVs at 4 o'clock every day. You know, like, for 25 years, that was just what you did. She was just such a fixture of American culture. And that's why we're talking about her. Yeah, I, uh, more than any other show we've watched, this one is just like, you can't separate Oprah from the Oprah Winfrey show, obviously. You cannot. Do you want to just jump right into the history of the show? Yeah, let's go ahead and start with the O overview oh of God. the history <laughs> of the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to stick in as many of those as I possibly can, because that's just who I am. But anyway... <laughs> yes, back to the history of the show, Oprah. Oprah Winfrey took over as the host of a little show called AM Chicago. It was just a half-hour morning talk show on Chicago's ABC station. She began hosting on January 2nd, 1984. That show rose from third place in the ratings, which, let's be real, was last place, really, because there were only three networks at the time. But within a month, it rose to first place. Like, that's a significant turnaround. Then, in 1985, Oprah starred in the film The Color Purple and rose to national prominence, received Golden Globe nomination, Oscar nomination for her role, and as a result, she became too big for her, you know, little talk show in Chicago. So the show was rebranded as The Oprah Winfrey Show and moved to national syndication in the fall of 1986. I actually found like a small point that I wanted to bring up here which is 
sort of regarding the tone that the show continued to take to the national stage that it was already doing in Chicago. It was very much a show about real people. But for the first episode of the show, producers were really, really trying to book Don Johnson from Miami Vice as a guest. And no matter what they did, they literally tried to bribe him with alcohol and like all these free gifts. He would not sign on to do the show. And so Oprah said, and I quote, we will do what we do best, and that is a show about and with everyday people. And I just wanted to ask you, how much do you think that this sort of happenstance of not being able to book a big-name celebrity guest right off the bat influenced the direction that the show moved in? And do you think that they maintained that sort of mindset as the show went on for 25 seasons? Did it remain a show that was about and with everyday people? Yeah, I think at its core, Oprah was intended to be a show that reflected society. I think that Oprah has tried to make people see that they are not alone and that they have control over their lives and agency in their lives. And one of the ways to do that is by showing real people who have demonstrated those things or people who need help learning those things. I don't know if that was the producer's intention from the start, but I have to believe in my core that Oprah was never going to do a talk show that was just her talking to celebrities. And that's why she was really best known, I think, for talking to real people about the real things that happened in their lives, both good and bad. I think that Oprah was one of the first shows that really ran the gamut as far as what was acceptable content on the show. You know, it's not yeah. like they needed to maintain a certain levity or a certain amount of even journalistic credibility, although Oprah had that. It wasn't a primary concern that she was always delivering these hard-hitting expose stories or anything like that. It was, here is a real story that matters, and here is why it matters. And you know, maybe it will make you laugh, maybe it will make you cry, maybe it will make you uncomfortable, but that's all part of the human experience that we are trying to reflect. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And what she always maintained was this sense of connection, whether she was talking to Tom Cruise or someone from, you know, the middle of nowhere, she always was able to bring a really human element to it. And I think it made the show stand out. And I think it kept it engaging. And I do think that it stayed till the end. And we'll get into more of that later. Well, clearly, the show connected with audiences, not just Oprah's connection to her guests. She connected to people across the world. The show ran nationally from September 8th, 1986 to May 25th, 2011. It ranked as TV's number one talk show for 24 of its 25 seasons, with an estimated 44 million viewers each week. <laughs> Insane. Now, the way that daytime viewing figures work is that's the total for the five episodes that air throughout the week. So you're averaging like 8.8 .8 million viewers per episode, but still, most primetime broadcast shows, especially these days, don't even get anywhere close to that. Yeah, that's so good. Pretty impressive. The show also won 47 Daytime Emmy Awards from its inception until 2000, when Oprah chose to stop submitting it for consideration. I didn't find a reason as to why she stopped 
submitting it. Maybe she just got tired of winning so much and wanted to let someone else have a chance. I don't know. I couldn't find anything either. I just sort of assumed, yeah, that she had just won so much that it was like, okay, I'm just going to let somebody else win. Either that or she ran out of shelf space. Maybe. (laughs) Could be. But I mean, she is Oprah, so she could probably buy a house just for her awards if she wanted to. (laughs) Well, would you like to just delve into the many, many notable moments of the show? Yeah, obviously throughout 25 years, there were a lot of noteworthy occurrences. Thank you. Thank you. You can laugh harder, Elena. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was supposed to be the straight man. Uh, Well, I mean, one of us has to be. (laughs) But anyway, yes. So I think the most noteworthy interview of the 25-year run of Oprah. I would say without a doubt, maybe other people feel differently, but it feels like a solid choice to say Tom Cruise's May 2005 appearance in which he jumped on the couch, as we've all seen, I'm sure, proclaiming his love for his then-girlfriend Katie Holmes. It was just supposed to be a regular appearance, promotional appearance, because the War of the Worlds was coming out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Tom was just talking about Katie and then lost his darn mind. Even Oprah lost her cool a little bit in this one. (laughs) Like, all she just kept saying, he's gone. (laughs) (laughs) He's gone. He's gone. The boy is gone. I think is the direct quote. (laughs) So I read a really, really great article about this that I wanted to just bring up if you're interested in reading it. It's an article by The Ringer. Uh, If you just Google like The Ringer, Tom Cruise, Oprah, couch jump, like you'll find it. But it was a great overview of like why this incident just like hit in such like a profound way. Like I think that it It had to do with, like, Tom and Oprah both sort of being at the zenith of their careers. Like, he was still such a huge star at that point. Like, nowhere, not like how he is viewed today, obviously. This kind of changed everything. And Oprah's show was so popular. This was after an incident we'll talk about later, I think, which is the You Get a Car incident. I think this was, like, a year after that episode. I don't know why I'm calling it an incident, but... So I think that it was like this perfect moment of both of them being so popular and in the public eye. And it was also the internet was growing. YouTube videos could be shared and altered. There were all these like memes about the event floating around online, even though like meme hadn't even been a word yet, but they were in essence early day memes. And so I think just like... The fact that it could be shared and replicated, they were so big as as celebrities. And if you think about it, it's right in that time period where paparazzi and gossip columns and all of this like entertainment culture was like so big. This is just a few years before like Britney Spears is going to shave her head. So I don't know. It just hit and it stuck. And, you know, obviously it was replicated on Family Guy and South Park, like all of the shows made fun of it. And it just, it completely changed his career. I just think it's interesting that like it really was this interview that was the turning point for him where like the whole world was like, what is going on? Like he 
before this, he was just a pretty universally beloved movie star who had, you know, had huge success after huge success, except Vanilla Sky. And, like, then just overnight, he's jumping up and down on a couch, and then a few months later, he's getting into an argument with Matt Lauer on the Today Show about the effectiveness of psychiatry. And then he's talking about, you know, his role as the chief lord alien king or whatever of Scientology. And it's like, who is this person now? I don't know if it was just the Oprah interview that really kind of was the launching point for him to feel like he could say or do whatever he wanted, but he should have not (laughs) done or said whatever he wanted if he wanted to hold on to his career. And I, I think that shows how fragile celebrity can be. Like one interview can make or break you sometimes, but it it's just such a fascinating touch point in popular culture, I think. It is something that will live for decades, I am sure, even if it doesn't have the same resonance for people who were not alive during Tom Cruise's successful period. I think it will be looked back on as one of those moments that really showed, okay, celebrities are real people and some of them are nuts <laughs> yeah and we don't realize <laughs> who is because sometimes they exist in this perfectly manicured bubble and when that bubble pops because it's not curated quite closely enough then the real thing slips out and i think we've seen more of a departure from from the idea that celebrities are these lofty people who can't be flawed in recent years that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, I just think today the relationship between us and celebrities is so different. And, like, they can make mistakes and be more flawed and more real. Yeah. So could something else like that happen today? I would say probably not. I don't think that the talk shows have quite the same amount of influence that maybe they used to. And the perception of celebrity has changed a little in the last decade and a half but still it's a fascinating moment in pop culture history i was reading a a different article about this incident that claimed that the tom cruise oprah interview has already been completely forgotten by our culture oh that's not true (laughs) i disagree as well but they were saying that the thing that happened on her show that it still has a far reach is the you get a car Mm. episode which is one of many giveaways that oprah did that Mm -hmm. she became very known for yeah i mean you get a car is probably the most famous talk show catchphrase now of all time that would be my opinion anyway but like just the craziness of giving everyone in the audience a car like you can't top that like that's that is an Oprah moment. Also, she would frequently have things under the audience members' seats. So, you know, there was the, look under your seats, would also be a catchphrase. <laughs> but nothing matches. You get a car. I just like that she did that, though, because people in that audience that day had no idea that they were going to get a car. Like, there's just something fun about that. And if you have the resources to do it, then yeah, why not? Did you read any of the, like, 
behind the scenes for that episode. I did not. Basically, Oprah had been doing her favorite things episodes and like giveaways since pretty early on. And they always sort of increased, you know, if you give someone a book one day and then an iPad the next year, like where do you go from there or whatever. So like it had to keep escalating, but it was kind of like hard to figure out what to do next. And Gail was on a flight seated next to a Pontiac executive and by the end of the flight had kind of brokered this deal with him that he would give 25 cars away on the show. And obviously they ended up giving away way more because like once Oprah got in touch with him and back and forth, it was like something like $8 million worth of cars were given away that day. Another thing that I think had a big impact on people was when she gave away a trip to Australia to everyone in her audience. Um, That was, I believe, the final season's first episode. I think so. With John Travolta, right? Yes, John Travolta flew the plane carrying everyone in the audience (laughs) to to Australia, where Oprah did a week of shows. I mean, they made it. They all survived. So I guess he really is a pilot. I don't know that I would go on a flight that long. being flown by John Travolta. I I would have my reservations, but if it was a free trip, then (laughs) maybe. (laughs) If I hadn't been to Australia before, especially, then yeah. Yeah, that's true. So another very memorable moment on the show was in 1988, so early days, Oprah wheeled out a little red wagon, Radio Flyer, the classic, that contained a bag with 67 pounds of animal fat which was the amount of weight that she had just lost because she wanted to show her audience what she had accomplished and make it an inspiring moment. So it's clearly a very memorable moment, but also one of Oprah's biggest regrets because I think as we all know, she ended up gaining back all of the weight and her weight continued to fluctuate for years and years. Oprah was quoted as saying, big, 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 big mistake. (laughs) When I look at that show, I think it was one of the biggest ego trips of my life. And I mean, I get why she would want to show it off. Like she looked great then after she had lost that weight. But I think it's even more poignant or poetic maybe in a way that she did end up gaining it back because that's something that so many more people can relate with than just losing the weight and keeping it off forever. You know, I think one of the reasons that Oprah did connect with people so much is that she had real struggles and she was open about them. You know, she was not trying to project this image that she was perfect and that everything that she did worked. She was real. And that celebration of what she had accomplished that would then be reversed, I think unintentionally provided this even deeper sense of connection and relatability to her for millions of people. I think you're absolutely right. And it's interesting remembering how much press coverage I think there was about Oprah's weight, just like the entire run of the show and Mm -hmm. probably after. I just remember, you know, like being at the supermarket and seeing like her on the cover of like bad, like tabloidy magazines. It's made even more impressive that she shared this part of herself so openly, you know, like moving forward as she gained and lost and gained and lost weight while she was being criticized for that as well in in the press. And I don't know, it 
couldn't have been easy to do that Mm -hmm. but it really did allow people to connect with her i don't know it also reminds me of the tyra banks kiss my fat ass (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was just going to say that like that that to me is another cultural touchstone i guess i don't know if that would have happened today just because i think people are so much more accepting of body types and everything and body positivity there's such a strong movement for that now that there's not as much scrutiny about stars weights definitely not so i don't know if tyra was necessarily the one who completely turned that around but i think she had a hand in it and i think that she learned so much from oprah i agree another way that oprah really developed a connection with her viewers was by being open about her sexual abuse Oprah revealed on a show about sexual abuse in November of 1986 that she had been raped by a relative when she was nine. And I mean, that's such an incredibly brave thing to admit, but I also don't know that, that, that anyone on television had been open like that, that anyone at Oprah's level of prominence and notoriety had been as honest and real about what had happened to them as Oprah had been. Like, that's such a powerful moment. And again, there are millions of people, unfortunately, that can relate to that. And she put that spotlight on it. It changed the direction of the show, I think, in some ways. You know, there were more conversations about sexual abuse that happened throughout the years. And it also elevated conversations about sexual abuse elsewhere in society to a level of prominence that I don't think had ever been seen before. It was this thing that people did not ever want to talk about, and understandably so, but it is important because it's so widespread, it's so pervasive in our culture, and Oprah, I think, is such a reason why it's become so much less stigmatized. Way less taboo. Mm-hmm. On a lighter note. <laughs> yes. It's not easy to make a transition out of that. But we'll go to something that's not really fun either. But certainly one of the most memorable interviews or sagas, I guess you could even call it, from the show. One of Oprah's book club picks in 2005 was a memoir called A Million Little Pieces by James Fry. That book had been hugely successful after Oprah picked it, sold over 5 million copies, and then a few months afterward, internet, I don't know what kind of periodical this is, if it's like a e-magazine or just a general website of some kind. But anyway, it's called The Smoking Gun. They published an article in 2006 detailing tons of fabrications and inconsistencies in the story, and it was eventually revealed that most of the book was not based on true events in the author's life. After these allegations surfaced, Oprah had James Fry on the show and asked if this was actually a memoir, if these things had actually happened to him. He you know, basically admitted that he had lied and that it was more a work of fiction than a work of fact. And Oprah kind of lost her cool on him in a way that viewers had not seen before. She excoriated him for lying, and a lot of viewers claimed that she had been angrier than they'd ever seen her. And Oprah admitted in an interview with TV Guide in 2012, over the years I've always tried to maintain a position of non-judgment and being able to find the thread of light, a way in to see that person as a human being and look at them with some sense of compassion. And I did not do that with James Fry. She 
felt like she had been duped. The book itself is about well, was allegedly about James Fry's journey with addiction, and Oprah saw it as a way for people who have struggled with that, either themselves or within their families or friends or communities, to really identify with it more closely and to see just how affecting it is. And to know that it was all a lie, I, I understand why she was angry, but it, it shows that even she could kind of let that journalist side of her slip. I mean, I think for me, there's like two sides to this. I, in reading about it and reading about James Fry and the way in which he sort of handled coming clean about everything, I get why it was very hard for her to find compassion for him because he tried at every turn to be like, well, at first he was like, well, you know, like it's based on fact but like obviously like some parts I've elaborated on or taken liberties with and then like you know would pull back a little more and be like sure like a lot of it's made up but it's still based on like my own dealings with like addiction and he just like he wouldn't wouldn't just come out and say like I just lied it was fiction I couldn't get it published as fiction so I tried to get it published as a memoir because I knew that it would like reach more people that way or whatever like he just wouldn't be honest about it and so I can understand why it was hard for her to have compassion for him but I also think the other side of this is that so much of Oprah is her name. I mean, you think about her magazine, her network, like even just the things she chooses to invest in, even just like movies she chooses to like produce, like everything sort of stems from her as a person and her putting her name behind it. And it, like when you're going to do that, you have to have integrity. And I think that that's probably why she was able to so influence. I mean, this book sold because she put her name on it and people trusted her. There's a lot of integrity there. So I I get it. Like I get why she lost her cool. And ultimately, like I don't really think that this took away from that integrity. Like she was still able to influence people and people still trusted her and getting so angry probably helped in maintaining that level of trust with her viewers yeah i think you're probably right because i'm sure that a lot of the viewers who read the book and considered it to be fact felt the same way that she did and i think that oprah above all is just authentic and i think it is probably hard for her to stomach someone sitting there claiming to have been authentic and then being exposed as a liar and a fraud. And that's probably where that anger came from more than anything. Do you want to talk about mad cow disease? I sure do. (laughs) Who doesn't? Always. (laughs) I almost said moving away from fraud and into defamation. I think you mean (laughs) moving. Oh my God. (laughs) Missed opportunity. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know why, but this event, like really sticks out in my mind, even though I would have been only four years old when it happened. Interesting, because I did not remember this at all from my childhood. Interesting. Yeah. But basically, in 1996, Oprah, in response to a discussion about mad cow disease, she says it had stopped her cold from eating another burger and all of these Texas cattle ranchers took offense to this and said that it was defamation. They sued her for libel and the show had to move production to Texas to 
go through the court proceedings. And fun fact, this is where she met Phil McGraw, a.k.a. Dr. Phil. He was part of the legal team for her there, which is very interesting and kind of amazing. <laughs> uh-huh. But I don't know. I I found this very interesting. Like I said, it really stuck out in my mind. And I hope I'm not forgetting any like major points regarding it. But at first I was like, I can't believe that they sued her for libel. Like, that's ridiculous. Like how? But then I started thinking about it. You know, if Oprah can put her name behind a book that sells five million copies, if Oprah says she's not eating a burger, that could be five million people who aren't going to eat burgers. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of I kind of agree that this this could have been libel, although it does just feel very much like an offhand comment. Yeah, it is like fascinating that that chain of events like her making that what i agree with you was probably an offhand you know jokey kind of comment that that resulted in a huge lawsuit that was extended for years really like the trial itself was only about a month that they had to be in amarillo and also interesting that there was a gag order placed on you know the events surrounding the trial so oprah was not even allowed to mention it on the air while they are filming in amarillo that just had to be so weird and awkward but anyway like that whole chain of events without all of that would dr phil be on tv today no probably not no way like that's just nuts now going from oprah saying that she would never eat another (laughs) burger to (laughs) saying she might eat something else (laughs) she might toss a salad she might but i don't think that she herself said any of these things we'll start there but um, we don't need to be sued for libel i would love to be sued for libel by (laughs) oprah that would be an honor it would on a 2005 episode well correction the episode originally aired in october 2003 but then a rerun aired in 2005 that caught more attention. So in this episode, Oprah was discussing with her guests some new slang for sexual acts, including tossing a salad, rimming, but the FCC got a bunch of complaints from angry parents whose children were in the room when these things were being said and there was you know no disclaimer on the show of you know we're talking about these very inappropriate things for children to be hearing anyway (laughs) wait (laughs) i'm sorry i'm just looking at the quotes from the letters uh so i i just really want to read this one so one of the letters written in to the fcc quote the oprah show described with graphic detail a sexual term known as quote tossing salad it was so offensive that my child's head literally exploded please ban free speech so this never happens again so that one i think was probably the result of a campaign by howard stern and jimmy kimmel to get people to write to the fcc and encourage them to fine oprah because both of them had been fined for questionable content on their show and you know howard stern is of course a very big proponent of free speech and hates it when the fcc tries to find him and censor his content so he's trying to point out that oprah can talk about rimming on her show but he can't say he can't drop a few harmless f-bombs right 
but still like he was really pushing his listeners to write to the FCC and demand that Oprah be prosecuted I don't know if he was I don't know what his end game was <laughs> uh, if it was just getting them to find her the way that they find him or what but anyway they just wanted to expose the double standard well now let's talk about the finale <laughs> yes so there was a two-part grand finale to the show in 2011 that filmed at the United Center in Chicago with an audience of 13,000 people, dozens of celebrity guests and surprises, and then the actual final episode of the show was filmed in the studio with just Oprah's staff and featured mostly tributes to the staff and her fans, and the finale garnered the show's highest ratings in 17 years, which is pretty impressive to have lasted 25 years and still be at the level of relevance in society that the show was at like that is not for all the reasons that we have mentioned already it's not surprising but it's totally remarkable one of a kind this show was and easily could have gone on for many more years and Mm. probably maintained quite a successful run but oprah her legacy is not just the show and not only herself but i think one of the most remarkable parts about oprah is that she was able to elevate so many other people to the national spotlight would you agree oh absolutely you just look at television today there are still so many people with their own shows their own product lines books everywhere there is no corner of media that has not been touched either directly or indirectly by oprah really and she did elevate people that never would have reached you know any kind of notoriety probably without her seeing that special something within them one of those people we already talked about was dr phil oprah was so impressed with him that she thanked him for the victory in her case and then she invited him to be on her show and his appearance was so successful that he began appearing weekly as a relationship and life strategy expert on Tuesdays that started in April 1998 and continued for a couple of years and then in September of 2002 Dr. Phil launched his own syndicated daily talk show produced by Oprah's production company Harpo Studios and Dr. Phil has been the number one daytime show since 2018 so that's insane to me because that means it has only grown since 2002 or everything else has declined but (laughs) the fact that it's a combination of the two probably (laughs) it's so uh, it's so relevant still and like (laughs) i am like always seeing clips of the show on youtube and instagram and everything like i dr phil haunts every moment of my life because i see him (laughs) everywhere i think i completely forgot that he got his start on the oprah show i feel like that's the case with several of the people that are on this list like they became so big on you know their own merits that you forget that oprah is the one that gave them their start i felt exactly the same way about rachel ray did she start on oprah or did she already have a food network show and then go to oprah yeah she had already had the show 30 Minute Meals on Food Network starting in 2001. Then Oprah liked her and brought her on her show. And then in 2006, Rachel Ray launched her own syndicated talk show, which is, of course, still on the air today, has won multiple Emmys as well. It is so weird to think, like, Rachel Ray would not be at the level she's at without Oprah. 
Dr. Phil would not be. Dr. Oz is another one. Yeah. Dr. Mamet Oz appeared as a health expert on Oprah for five seasons from 2004 to 2009. And then Oprah offered to give him his own show through Harpo Productions. And it premiered in the fall of 2009 and is still going strong today. She just has this natural knack for understanding who somebody is. It seems so early, you know, with such little interaction. She, like, her instincts are just so keen. I know. I wish that I had any, like, ounce of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just reading people the way she does and respecting people and, like, giving them the keys to success. Like, it's such a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. It's... It's really incredible. It's just fun to watch people get other people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because that's a skill that so many of us, I think, wish that we had. And it's not often something that you can develop. It kind of is just this innate thing that you are either born with or you're not. You know, you either have that instinct or you don't for what a person really needs in their life. And so for Oprah to have that, but also have the business savvy that she has to also have the newscasting ability that she has to also Mm -hmm. have the work ethic that she has like that is just one tornado of talent in one human thinking about just like her origins of like how she grew up the abuse that she suffered that makes it even more remarkable to me Mm -hmm. that she's had so many odds stacked against her and just made it Like, she Mm -hmm. just had the talent and the hard work to make it. She's just incredible. Do you want to talk about Gail? Yes, let's talk about Gail. So, Gail and Oprah met while working at a CBS station in Baltimore in 1976. Gail then worked as a local news anchor in various cities with a few intermittent national daytime TV host jobs. So she had some national prominence of her own, but really was always just known best as Oprah's best friend because she appeared on Oprah several times over the years. She finally got her own talk show on the OWN network. Get it? Her own Own. talk show in January 2011 when the OWN Network first launched, but the show ended that November when, with Oprah's blessing, Gail accepted one of the anchor positions on CBS This Morning, where she has flourished. It must feel so good to be Gail. Now, like, after all of these years, like, she was always just kind of living in Oprah's shadow, and in these past few years, like, she has just been on fire. Her R. Kelly interview is so good. She's... Mm -hmm. Honestly, she is so talented herself. It's sad that she was kind of taken (laughs) for granted all of those years that people just saw her as Oprah's best friend. And fortunately, it doesn't seem like there's any real resentment about that at all on Gail's part. But it must feel so good now to kind of get hers, (laughs) you know, to be named a few years ago. She was named one of Time's Time 100 Most Influential People. You know, she's had such success with so many interviews that she's done over the past couple of years. She is just flourishing and, you know, having this late career surge that is not only well-deserved but exciting to watch i love their friendship it feels so real to me Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of like pairings you see on tv or in reality shows and they like something about gail and oprah always felt very genuine they always seemed like they were actually having fun together Mm -hmm. when they would do their little (laughs) trips and everything so yeah i don't know she's 
she's a good reporter. I like I like to watch her a lot, and I am very happy for her success. Good for you, Gail. Oh, okay, get it? I got it. Let's move on to the impact of the Oprah show, which, I mean, we've already been talking for quite a long time here, and I think we've only scratched the surface of the impact that the show has had on society. Like I said before, there is no corner of media that Oprah has not touched, and it's because of this show. I think that she realized early on the power that television has. That's something that we've said on this show many times. Television is a powerful medium, and Oprah realized that and tapped into it and realized that it was just a stepping stone for her. Well, maybe it's the cornerstone, but there are so many other things that she has broadened her reach to be able to incorporate into her empire, and it is just fascinating to consider them all. I read a really interesting article from the New York Times. It was an older article, but it talked a lot about why Oprah was able to branch out so successfully. And I thought that the point that they were trying to make was very interesting because they used all of these other examples of celebrities who really like stepped out of their lane. And, you know, they might have been like a TV personality, but then they would step out and do something completely unrelated to media. They would invest in that and then ultimately fail. But they were claiming that Oprah was so successful because she always stayed somewhat related to media in some way. That's really where she's invested. You know, obviously her magazine, her network, producing other talk shows. Like she always stayed enough within sort of the media landscape and didn't ever really, I mean, I'm sure she's invested in stocks in like companies and stuff, but she never really went in like a direction that was way out in left field. She stuck with what she knew and she trusted her instincts. And ultimately, I'm glad that she did because I think it's failed for so many other people when they don't do that. She did what she knew and she's obviously made millions and millions and billions of dollars because of it. (laughs) Yeah, that is so true. I was just thinking about Like, it would have been easy for Oprah to establish a theme park, you know, like Dollywood or something, or try to branch out into a musical career, whether she could sing or not, like Tyra Banks. Yeah. Remember Shake Your Body? No. Most people don't. I do. (laughs) I think I can still sing all of the words and be more on key than... Tyra would. But Oprah didn't worry about those kinds of frivolous things that weren't really going to have an impact on her like she knew what she could do well and knew what her core audience what her fans were expecting of her and thankfully she has millions and millions of core fans so she could leverage that power that her name holds to not only increase her own success in whatever whatever ventures she was undertaking but also to lift up other people yeah and and there are a couple of examples of that you know oprah's book club there were 70 books chosen throughout the club's run on just the show from 1996 to 2011 estimated total sales of those 70 books after being named a book club pick is over 55 million but that's insane like you have the ability to sell that many books for other people just because you said i liked this book and that's obviously influenced so many other celebrities too i mean you have the reese witherspoon book club now which Mm -hmm. has got to be similar 
I would say that's the most famous book club going right now. I think probably. Those books are everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. you can't walk into a Barnes & Noble. Like, they're front and center in mm-hmm. the store. Yeah. I, I, like, I love that Oprah started the book club because I do feel like it somehow... <laughs> got people interested in reading again <laughs> like i don't want to <laughs> give oprah all the credit for bringing back reading but honestly who else had the power to do that literally nobody <laughs> yes if anyone is going to make reading cool and fun again it was oprah yes and i think it's worth mentioning that this sort of effect that she was able to have is called the oprah effect and i do believe that that is like a real thing that like people study to some mm-hmm extent like the way that she was able to impact not only through the book club but as i think we're about to get into just like anything and everything that she featured would see a boost in sales i think the most obvious of those things is the products that were featured on her oprah's favorite things list every year basically if you were on Oprah's favorite things, you are going to be set for life. (laughs) Not exactly, but there are multiple companies, you know, small businesses that were kind of struggling to get by that Oprah somehow found, or, you know, maybe her producers somehow found and encouraged her to try. And then business just started blowing up for them. There were actually a couple of businesses that couldn't handle the amount of sales increases that they were experiencing because of Oprah. Their websites were throttled because too many people were trying to order on them and they couldn't handle the number of customers trying to get into their stores and they couldn't keep up with the product demand. One of the companies that really experienced that that overwhelming success the most was called Garrett Popcorn Shops. After being featured on an episode of Oprah's Favorite Things, they got over 100,000 hits on their website on just the afternoon that it aired, and sales increased in the month of December by over 100%, which caused the business to go from making popcorn 8 hours a day to 24 hours a day. That is almost a negative impact. I mean, it's great that they're getting that much sales, <laughs> but like, you can't be prepared for that overnight success. No. Like, you can't scale up that much. It happens to companies featured on Shark Tank sometimes, where mm. they're like, yeah, literally after our episode aired, our website crashed <laughs> <laughs> because so many people are trying to buy the stuff. I mean, it's too much of a good thing, maybe. Too much success too fast. Mm-hmm. Another example, um, there was a company called We Take the Cake bakery shop that was on the list in 2004 and it pulled the company out of bankruptcy in 2009 a full five years later the company's sales were still over a million dollars a year carol's daughter a fragrance and bath and body product line became a multi-million dollar company after being featured on the show like that's that's just oprah that's the oprah effect literally you're right that is something that economists actually do study the economic impact that oprah has had i wish i had more of those statistics but if you're interested in that you can go look it up yourself listeners do some of the work we're not really math people obviously (laughs) i mean i did get a 660 on the math portion of my SAT. Not trying to brag or nothing. Wow. That's not even that impressive. I did well on the verbal. You did. <laughs> I remember that. Almost perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. And I wonder what kind of an impact she's going to have in this sort of last act of her life that sounds really dark but yeah I don't know not to go too far off topic but I I wonder what's next for her and what kind of an impact her name will still have or does still have yeah I think the Oprah 
name and Oprah brand will long outlive her actual life. That will continue to have resonance for decades to come. But I do think that so much of the brand is tied to who she is as a person. So it will lack that that je ne sais quoi, that unidentifiable amalgamation of characteristics that she possesses that have contributed to her outrageous success. So, you know, she will continue to be a powerful person long after she's gone, but I do feel like it will, it just won't be the same without her. No, I don't want to think about her not being alive. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Hopefully that is many decades away. I hope so. I mean, if you're Oprah, you can absolutely buy the best medical care possible and you can buy the best cryogenicists to (laughs) um, take care of your body and resurrect you in a hundred years and see if anyone still cares about you right i hope that's the case (laughs) i hope so too i was recently reading about cryogenesis and walt disney and how he wasn't actually cryogenically frozen yeah it's a lie yeah that's disappointing i know but anyway uh, back to oprah not disney Uh uh-huh so oprah's show obviously had a lasting impact i mean it redefined the daytime talk show as being able to address both serious and dramatic topics as well as more light-hearted frivolous even fair most daytime talk shows at the time were very different from her show they were more like late night shows how we would think of that or like a variety show with the exception of Phil Donahue and Oprah actually credits a lot of her success to the Phil Donahue show she says that if it weren't for Phil Donahue there would have never been an Oprah show so it's interesting to think about the media landscape at the time the way that talk shows were compared to today because I think pretty much everything that came after Oprah is obviously very influenced by Oprah. Even more roundtable style shows, they still seem to attempt to reach the level of connection with audience that Oprah had. They range in topic, like we were talking earlier about Tyra Banks, like I think that she was a very clear emulator, if I can say that, of Oprah in doing celebrity interviews, but also real people trying to connect and be really real. And, you know, even shows like The Talk, or the real, I think that they do something very similar or follow in her footsteps. But yeah, at the time, it was very groundbreaking. I've never seen Phil Donahue. I don't really know much about him. I don't know if you delved into that at all. I didn't get too deep into him. I know that his show premiered in, I believe it was 1970. So he definitely predated Oprah. And his show ran until 1996, I think. And it was actually on the air longer than Oprah's was. But he really was the first person to feature real people on his talk show. He kind of took a similar approach to Oprah and thinking that real people's stories were as interesting or more interesting than a celebrity's stories. And that the talk show audience deserved to have that kind of relatability and to be able to see themselves on TV, so to speak. I think that Oprah sort of borrowed that idea from him, but then just amplified it in this huge way. But yeah, Phil Donahue, I think, is was hugely influential for most talk show hosts. But Oprah, I think, let's be fair here, blows him out of the water as far as what she was able to achieve because of her talk show and what she was able to help others achieve with it, too. 
some of the things that she achieved were creating her own network. Her own network. There's that one again. The Oprah Winfrey Network, which was struggling when it first launched. Uh, There wasn't like a clear idea of what it was going to be, I think. You know, she just knew that it was a good idea to extend her brand in that way, but probably just didn't know exactly how to flesh out an entire 24-hour cable channel with content that her audience was going to find relevant and still feel like was stemming from Oprah in some way. You know, it's really established its brand, and it's been very successful now for several years running. She also founded her own production company, Harpo Productions, now known as Harpo Studios, which included Harpo Films. She, of course, had O Magazine, which was very successful back when magazines were a thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, it's just amazing to think that because of a talk show, which, you know, so many hundreds of people have had over the years, if you have that special something, that special knack to truly connect with people and to know what people want and to give them what they don't know what they want, (laughs) that you can turn it into a multi-billion dollar media empire. I think that that is the perfect segue into the ultimate question that I think this discussion has been leading to, which is, is Oprah the most influential person in the history of media? Because everything we've talked about certainly makes it seem that way. Is there anyone that comes close? I mean, I cannot think of a single person who has had the impact on society because of media that Oprah has had. The entire media landscape, television, movies, books, news media itself, there's basically nothing that she has not touched in some way, whether directly or indirectly. And when she touches something, it changes it permanently. You know, there's she's had some minor failures at things along the way, but even those things that were not a resounding success, I think have taken a particular medium or a particular genre or a particular industry even in a different direction that have left the landscape totally changed. She is just that kind of person who has the influence. She is one of the original influencers, one might say. Yeah, for real though. Yeah. I just can't think of a single other person who has been as constant a media presence and whose impact and legacy will be as strong and as favorably remembered as Oprah's. I mean, I think that's the key, right? Because like, it's funny because the only person I can think of that compares in my mind, but almost as a foil to Oprah is like Trump, Mm. because Trump is someone who slapped his name on so many things and most of them failed but I mean obviously he was president so that's like a success but for him not maybe not for the rest of us (laughs) not for anyone else (laughs) (laughs) but you know I think that he in a weird way like tried a very similar thing to Oprah in like leading with his name and trying to make his name mean something but like he just really didn't have the 
any intelligence. Well, I was going to say just like even the there's like plenty of dumb people who can like make their name mean something. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think the Kardashians are smart. We'll never really know. But like they've built a brand around their name and they've touched a lot of specifically like beauty and fashion that world right in kind Mm -hmm. of a similar way to Oprah. Maybe that maybe that is actually a a good comparison, although it feels sacrilegious to compare the Kardashians to Oprah, but (laughs) they've built a world, a beauty world, really, perfumes, clothing, whatever, and they sell, like, their stuff sells. Like, Mm -hmm. Kylie Jenner is a billionaire because of the show and because of, like, putting her name on low-quality lipsticks, you know. (laughs) But Trump, I think, like, tried to do something similar, but he just, like, didn't really have the touch that Oprah had or that the Kardashians have like I I don't know so there are people who have done a similar thing but like definitely not in the media world I can't really think of anyone maybe by the end of his lifetime Tyler Perry will end up in like a similar position because I know Mm -hmm. he has his own production studios in Atlanta right and Mm -hmm. seems to branch out somewhat from like his core movies that he used to make like the Medea series and like his Mm -hmm. other stuff I don't really know a whole lot about him but there could be someone again but I can't think of anyone else really I'm kind of glad that on the in the spur of the moment I thought of the Kardashians because I do kind of feel like that's a weird maybe similar yeah situation and also, uh, I mean, I just thought of something that the Kardashians accomplished that Oprah has not. Oprah has never delved into the world of sex tapes. And the Kardashians <laughs> absolutely have her beaten there. I would love an Oprah sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't? Oprah showing just what a stead man, steadman is. Oh, no. You can edit that out. <laughs> but anyway... There are people whose success in certain areas parallel the career and the amount of success that Oprah has had in those areas as well. But I cannot think of a single person who has had such great success in so many different avenues and so many different projects. It just takes an incredibly intelligent, intentional, and authentic person to make a connection in so many different ways with so many people for so long and to never slow down. You know, I can't think of a time in my life when it felt like Oprah's popularity or success had waned at all. She's just always waxing. Never waning. (laughs) (laughs) No, but really. You're you're absolutely right. Oprah is always waxing. (laughs) Is that where we're leaving this discussion? That's the title of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my. Get it? Wow. Cody, Uh, I... uh, That's where we're leaving this discussion, right? I'm going to have to work on my laughter, I think. I think you are. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's really anything else to say. We've covered everything. Oprah is our queen Mm -hmm. and that's really it that is it thank you to the oprah show for changing the whole world really yes thank you (laughs) all right well that concludes this episode of televisionary i guess thanks for sticking with us 
we talked a lot <laughs> about a lot of things and I feel like we repeated ourselves a lot, but those things bear repeating because Oprah's just Dopra. Get it? Oh, I, I, I get it. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm off to go find someone who appreciates the humor that I bring to the show. I'm Cody Hoffman. I'm Elena Hillard. And this has been Televisionary. It sure has. And as Oprah would say, have a good night! Or a good day, if you're listening to this in the daytime. Thanks for listening to Televisionary. If you like what you heard, share this episode with a friend. You can follow us on Instagram at Televisionary Podcast, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Bye!